Let's get your passage this resurrection morning. It's Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20 and 21. It can be found in your pew Bibles on page 1879. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20, 21. Hear now the reading of God's holy, inspired, and infallible word. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. As far as the reading of God's word, may he bless it to the hands, hearts, and minds of his people. I remember the first time uh, y'all asked me to come preach here at Cottage Grove, which, believe it or not, is coming up on like five years ago. Yeah. Um, I, got the, uh, I got the order of worship in an email from Gail, and uh, I'd never been to a Reformed church before. So I, I took that email in to uh, my friend at the seminary, Jeff DeBoer, and I sat down with him and I said, what is God's greeting? What's a declaration of trust? What's an assurance of pardon? And then at the bottom I said, what's a benediction? You see, many Christian worship services end with a benediction. It's not something that I grew up with. And so it's not surprising that many people might not know what they are. But that's what our passage is today, this morning. It's, it's, a, benedic- it's a benediction in the book of Hebrews. And a benediction is simply a blessing. Um, pastors have the privilege of announcing prayerfully divine blessings on the people of God as they scatter from the place of corporate worship. The benediction is often announced simply by quoting scriptures. But often these scriptures are not explained or preached on. We hear them every Sunday. We may even have them memorized. But what do they mean? What is the message they are conveying? What is the blessing that is being given? So today on this Resurrection Sunday, I thought it would be helpful to preach to you one of the most beautiful, most deep, most scriptural, and wonderful blessings found in the Bible. That's Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20 and 21. Our theme this morning is, we can know that Christ's death accomplished our salvation because God raised him from the dead. We can know that Christ's death accomplished our salvation because God raised him from the dead. We have three points this morning. The first is the God of peace and the eternal covenant. The second is Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. And the third is equip us and work within us. 
So let's look at that first point, the God of peace and the eternal covenant. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20 begins with, may the God of peace. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, why is it that the author of the book of Hebrews is calling God the God of peace? And many of you know that if you read the Bible, if it was made into a movie, it would be rated R with all the violence and all the uh, very, very uh, explicit things that, that happen in the Bible. I think that's one of the reasons why um, I believe the Bible is, is true, what it's talking about, because it doesn't cover up, it doesn't hide these things that uh, would often be covered up or hidden if people were trying to make themselves look good. But the God of peace is a proper name for God. And by mentioning the God of peace, by eliciting that kind of thought attached to the God who created the heavens and the earth, um, the Father, with whom we properly speak of when we hear the term God in correlation with Jesus Christ, I want to bring us back. I want to bring us back to the garden. It's important that we often go back there, but... One of the things I want to bring to mind is that right after our first parents fell into sin, they rebelled against God, they turned away from Him, they broke His commandment, and they decided they were God. They decided they would decide what's right for them and what's not right for them. God came and He spoke to them. And God did something very interesting. He did not say, I will put enmity between you, the woman, and me. You are now my enemy. I am no longer going to seek peace with you. I come in judgment against you. No, that's not what he said. The first promise of the gospel is that God would put enmity between the woman, the seed of the woman, and the serpent who had deceived her. And that one day, a seed of the woman would come and crush the head of the serpent, claiming victory over the one who had plunged our world into sin, darkness, and a curse. The God of peace sought peace against his creatures whom he made in his image who turned away from them and against them. And the rest of redemptive history plays this out play by play, age by age, time by time. God is a God of peace, seeking peace with his people. But what is the blood of the eternal covenant? The God of peace who through the blood of the eternal covenant. This is what the author of Hebrews is saying. This is the final way in which God has brought to culmination that peace which he has sought. With the seed of the woman. Throughout all redemptive history. 
It's through the blood of the eternal covenant. Well, some people have looked at this verse and said, that's talking about the covenant of redemption. The covenant of redemption is the covenant between the members of uh, the Trinity before creation. The Father determined to save a people um, from sin. Uh, The Son agreed to go and to redeem those people by his life and by his death and resurrection. And the Spirit agreed to apply the work of that salvation to the hearts of his people. That's the covenant of redemption. Um, Some people have said it's that. But in order to understand what the blood of the eternal covenant is, we need to understand what the book of Hebrews has talked about. You see, what you need to understand is the book of Hebrews is called the book of Hebrews because the author is writing to a collection of Jews who are tired of getting picked on because they're those Jews who believe that Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah. And they're thinking about going back to the synagogue, going back to the temple, going back to the sacrifices because they think, you know, in my heart I'll believe in Jesus but outwardly, I'll just do what everyone else does. I'll, I'll just be culturally appropriate, and, and I won't cause any issues. And then maybe I wouldn't get made fun of. Maybe I wouldn't experience this hardship and this persecution. And the author of the book of Hebrews writes to these people who are considering that to tell them something very important. He comes to tell them that there is nothing to go back to. That what that was, the Mosaic Covenant, the laws, and the sacrifices, and the temple, and all that stuff, is passing away. And a judgment is coming. Because it's all been fulfilled and come to its fullness. In Jesus Christ. And so the author of the book of Hebrews pulls from all these promises in the Old Testament. Jeremiah 31. Behold, I will make a new covenant with my people. And this covenant will not be like the old covenant. Because my people couldn't keep the old covenant. They broke the old covenant. This new covenant is going to be transformative. It's going to change them from the inside. It's going to write the law on their hearts. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, the transformation of the completed work of Jesus Christ, I will call them to live according to my commandments. I will transform them to live in accordance with the law. This commandment is not simply going to be an outward thing. It's going to be an inward thing. And that covenant that God was talking about through the prophet Jeremiah, that is the covenant which was made in the blood of Jesus Christ. His blood is the blood of the everlasting covenant. Because now that Christ has come, now that Christ has accomplished 
the work that God sent him to do. Now that Christ has wiped away the sins of his people. And now that Christ has given them his righteousness. This covenant will not pass away. It will be forever. It's an everlasting covenant. This is why the author of the book of Hebrews says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We need no other sacrifice. We need no other priest. We need no other mediator. We need no other king. Jesus is enough. His is the blood of the everlasting covenant that has brought peace between God and his people finally and forever. But this blessing, it continues. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep. Moving on to our second point then, Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. This benediction is communicating to us that the God of peace, the God who has sought peace with his people all the way through redemptive history, all the way to the culmination of Jesus Christ, who is the Prince of Peace, the one who brought peace perfectly and fully. The God of peace, through the blood of the eternal covenant, brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus What exactly should we understand by this? That the blood, through the blood of the eternal covenant, God brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus. This is what I want you to think about. This week we often ponder on Thursday. Christ's preparation for his crucifixion, his time with his disciples. It's a very somber moment. That's why it's called Monday Thursday. And on Friday, it's got a very um, ironic name, Good Friday. And we often have a special service on Good Friday. And, that, and the tone of that service is somber because we're talking about the death of our Savior. And he's dying on the cross because of our sins. But I, what I want you to know, what I want you to understand is the gospel does not end on Good Friday. If there was only Good Friday and no Easter Sunday, no Resurrection Sunday, it would not be a Good Friday. What do I mean by that? Let's look at it this way. 
Sometimes when you pay someone, you say, I'll give you this much up front. And then when you get done with the job, I'll give you the other part afterwards. So that you know that I am, I'm good on paying you, right? And you have motivation to complete whatever job I'm giving you to accomplish. So I'll pay you a little bit up front. And then once you've accomplished it, I'll pay you the rest. Right? Well, it's helpful if we think of the cross of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of Jesus Christ in the same way. The cross of Jesus Christ is a display for us that the wrath of God is being poured out on Christ and not us. He is receiving the punishment for our sins. But without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we don't know if that work has been approved. We don't know if that work has been accepted. We don't know if that work has been accomplished. You see what I'm saying? I'm saying that when Hebrews chapter 13 verse 20 says... The God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus. This is what it's saying. It's saying the acceptance of Christ's work on the cross by his Father is seen in the proof that God raised him from the dead. The acceptance of that high priestly sacrifice, if we were to use the language of Hebrews, is that through the blood of the eternal covenant, God raised our Lord Jesus from the dead. God said, I accept this sacrifice. I accept the work that my son has done. It is perfect. It is sufficient. I accept it. And why is that important for us? Why does that mean something to us? Because it means that all that we ever needed for our salvation from the cradle to the grave is accomplished. Because God accepted the perfect work of Jesus Christ, we can have confidence. We can have assurance that all that the church is needed for her survival, for her to be purified and dressed in white on that day to come, for her to grow in the holiness and, and, and godliness, for her to suffer and to experience hardship and difficulties, but to make it through and to understand and to know that whatever suffering we may be experiencing now cannot be compared to the glory that waits for us. The fact that the God of peace accepted the blood of the everlasting covenant and the proof is that he raised Jesus from the dead means that anything that we could possibly need for our lives of godliness Anything that we could possibly need for us to continue on in the faith, to finish the race, has been accomplished. It has been given to us in Jesus Christ.
Do you know that? Do you understand that? Do you believe that? Because knowing that, understanding that, believing that will change your life. It means that Jesus really is a perfect Savior. It means that everything that the Bible says about Jesus is true and it's for you. It means when Hebrews says that because Christ ever lives, he can save to the uttermost those who come to him in faith. He can really save you. To the end. And that's why the next statement that Hebrews chapter 13 verse 20 says is to call Jesus that great shepherd of the sheep. Is because now that Jesus, through his sacrifice and the blood of the everlasting covenant, and through the Father's acceptance of his sacrifice, given proof in the raising of Jesus from the dead, Christ ever lives to care for us as a shepherd does his sheep. And it's not uncommon in the Old Testament for the, the priests to be called shepherds. This is an illusion given in Ezekiel and in Jeremiah. And the, and the crazy thing about that illusion given in Ezekiel and Jeremiah about shepherds, the priests being the shepherds of the people, is that they were bad shepherds. <laughs> they abused the flock. They mistreated them. They did not feed them. They did not care for them. They did not protect them. And that is not true of Jesus Christ. He is the great shepherd of the sheep. He is the one who leaves the 99 to chase the one. He is the one who loves each sheep with a deep, passionate love that is hard for us to fathom. It's hard for us to understand the kind of love that Christ the shepherd has for his sheep. But one of the best ways for us to understand the depth of the love of Jesus Christ is to know that he chose to give his life up for us. With the joy that was set before him. The joy of being able to relieve his people from their sin and their guilt and their shame. He went to the cross. And through the power of the resurrection, he sealed our ultimate destiny, our salvation. Christ is that great shepherd of the sheep. And what's the outcome of this work of salvation? But the God of peace accepted the blood of the everlasting covenant in Christ's sacrifice, the proof of which is that he raised Jesus from the dead, and now Jesus ever lives to be the shepherd of us, his sheep, to care for us 
and to provide for us. What is the outcome of that? Well, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit means that each and every one of us have a down payment, a seal upon us that the work that God has started in us, he will bring to completion. And Jesus was raised from the dead, yes, but many days later, he ascended to sit at the right hand so that he could pour out the Spirit. And we're going to talk about that later this year on Ascension Day. But the second verse of verse 21 of Hebrews chapter 13 is talking about that. When it says, May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant, brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, if it's not enough to know that the God of peace accepted the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, and the proof of his acceptance of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is that he raised Jesus from the dead. And now Jesus ever lives to be that great shepherd of the sheep. The result of that, the outworking of that, is that we, in our prayers, we, in our desire to move forward in the life of the cross, to move forward in the life of a Christian, to continue the race, is one on which we always depend on the grace of God by the working of the Holy Spirit. That redemptive work of Jesus Christ is something that happened in history. It's something that happened 2,000 years ago. He died, he was put in the grave, three days later, he was raised from the dead. But the question we have to ask ourselves is, how does that historical work reach us, touch our hearts, transform our lives? It does through the work of the Holy Spirit. Through the Holy Spirit, God equips us with everything good. For doing his will. You see, I often find that some of the phrases that you hear in the Christian life aren't actually in the Bible. One of them is, well, God will never give you more than you can handle. There's a reason why I don't like that uh, phrase. First of all, I understand that probably what it's coming from is, is a, a bit of a, a paraphrase of uh, 1 Corinthians 10 when, when Paul says um, God will uh, never, never uh, always gives you a way out of temptation. That's, that's where it's coming from. But to say that God never gives us more than we can handle is just not true. In fact, one time Paul in his letter said, God had overwhelmed us so much that we wished we would die. But then he says that we might remember the one who has defeated death. 
What am I saying? I'm saying that when we pray, Lord, equip us with everything good for doing your will, what we're really saying is we don't have the stuff. We don't have it in us. If this is going to get done, Lord, it's going to be because you are equipping us to do your will. You're equipping us with everything good to do your will because we don't have the goods in us. And so what we're really saying is, God, where I'm at in life right now, whatever it is that I'm facing right now, it's too much for me to handle. It's too much for me to handle. And when we do that, when we say that, we're actually glorifying God. We're actually glorifying God the work of Jesus Christ in the cross and in the resurrection. And we're actually glorifying Jesus, who is the great shepherd of the sheep. When we say, like a lamb, I need help from my shepherd. I need assistance. I need protection. I need you to equip me to do your will. I need you to work in me what is pleasing to you. I need you to work in me what will please you. And when you do that, what you're saying is, God, I really do believe that in the cross of Jesus Christ, I really do believe that in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you have accomplished everything that I need for my salvation from go to finish. From start to end. And so, Lord, equip me with everything good for doing your will and work in me whatever is pleasing to you. For I know that when I rely upon you, when I trust in you, when I trust not in myself and lean not on my own understanding, when I put all my trust in you, when I say I am weak but you are strong, when I say I am in need of your grace and your mercy because I continue to struggle, when I say these things, Lord, I glorify you. Because I am proclaiming that I am not my own Savior. That you have provided a perfect Savior. I am saying that you are a trustworthy, holy, good God. When I pray to you and I ask you to equip me with everything good for doing your will. And I ask you to work in me what is pleasing to you. I am saying that with man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. I am saying that I believe that you are the God of peace 
who through the blood of the everlasting covenant brought back Jesus our Lord from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep. That's what you're saying. You're saying that everything you have, you owe to the one who gave it to you. But you don't really owe because it's a gift. It's grace. And if you don't believe me, if you don't believe that this outworking, calling on God to equip us and to work within us, is an expression of giving all the glory to God, well then just keep reading. Because it says, May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. What does that mean? It means that all that we have received for our salvation has been through Jesus Christ from beginning to end. And because all that we've received for our salvation is through Jesus Christ, and we need nothing more, we need no one else, the glory, it all goes to Him. It does not go to us. To your name be the glory, not to us. Or as it was often said, the time, the Reformation, soli deo gloria. To God alone be the glory. To whom be glory forever and ever. People of God, we can know Christ's death accomplished our salvation because God raised him from the dead. And so I'm hoping that next time you hear a benediction, or in particular this benediction in Hebrews chapter 13, you'll understand a little bit more about what the blessing is communicating. You understand a little bit more about what it's saying. You see, a blessing is a statement of goodwill and happiness that is said about another, as well as the condition that fulfills those good words. God's original design and creation was for his creatures, including mankind, to experience prosperity, peace, and fulfillment. But that design was ruined when sin entered the world. Statements of blessing, then, are a wish for God to restore his favor on others or a declaration of his inherent goodness. The ultimate blessing that God has given us is the new life and forgiveness that comes through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. The material blessings we enjoy from day to day are temporary, but the spiritual blessings available to us in Christ encompass time and eternity, as well as material and immaterial things. And so when this blessing is spoken again as a parting benediction, may you know that what is being communicated to you, the blessing, the desire for goodwill that has been put upon you is the desire that you would know. The God of peace has accepted the sacrifice of Jesus Christ 
and our assurance that this has been accepted is that he raised him from the dead so that we can know that all we need for our salvation has been accomplished in Jesus Christ who now in his resurrection and his ascension is that great shepherd of the sheep, the provider and protector of his people. And because we know this is true, because we know that everything that we stand in need of is in Jesus Christ, we can pray to God and we can ask that he would equip us and work within us so that we can give glory and honor to him alone so that we can show we rely not upon ourselves but fully upon Jesus Christ and his perfect, completed, and accomplished work. We can, know, we can know Christ's death accomplished our salvation because God raised him from the dead. Amen. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have been with us always, seeking peace with us. We thank you that through the blood of Jesus Christ, the blood of the everlasting, eternal covenant, you have brought that peace. We thank you that that sacrifice that was made on our behalf because of our sin and our wickedness was accepted by you. And you brought back the Lord Jesus, our Savior, from the dead. And may we see him as the shepherd of the sheep who cares for us, watches over us, protects us, and provides for us. And may we know that we can always, with confidence, approach the throne of grace through Jesus Christ, asking you to equip us with everything good for doing your will, asking that you may work in us what is pleasing to you, and that we may know that all this comes through Jesus Christ, whom deserves the glory forever and ever. Amen.